out of the nine Bible readings we've heard today, we're going to spend some time now focusing on the seventh, which is back on page 11. So please turn back to page 11 in the service program. And it would help me if you could keep that page open during the sermon. First, let's bow our heads and pray for God to help us understand what he has said in his word, the Bible. A prayer based on Psalm 119, verse 18. Heavenly Father, please open our eyes that we may see wonderful things out of your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. If I asked you what is the message of Christmas, I think at least one person here would say almost automatically, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Or perhaps, peace on earth, goodwill to all. It's a memorable phrase that is often used at this time of the year. And I'm sure we can all go along with it without much debate over what it says. Peace on earth, yes please. Goodwill to all, also, yes please. Those are aspirations pretty much everyone can get on board with. But here's the thing, that Christmas phrase, peace on earth, goodwill to all, is horizontal. It's about how people treat other people. And yet when we look at the Bible verse that inspired that Christmas phrase, what we find is that it's vertical. It's all about God's dealings with us. Please take a look at Luke chapter 2, verse 14. It's in the middle of page 11. A multitude of angels, described in the previous verse as the heavenly host, meaning the heavenly army, have just appeared to a group of shepherds. And the angel's message to the shepherds is, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's the verse that inspired the Christmas saying about peace and goodwill. But as you can see, it's not a sideways message about our dealings with one another. It's a top-down message about God's dealings with humanity. There are two takeaways for us from that vertical message in verse 14. They're simple takeaways, but each one has the power to change your life radically from this day forward. We'll look at each takeaway in turn, and that will bring us to the end of the sermon. The first takeaway is give glory to God. Give glory to God. The angels say glory to God in the highest. They want God to be glorified. Glory is well-deserved praise. Whatever field you work in, I'm sure you know what glory looks like in that field. We have several actors in our church. Glory for an actor would be, I suppose, having your face on a movie poster, winning an Oscar, or seeing a Broadway audience rise to applaud you. In politics, glory comes with election victories or when your policy is signed into law. Chefs receive glory when their restaurant is awarded a Michelin star 
In sports, glory comes with trophies and championship rings and selection for the Hall of Fame. Whatever field you work in or whatever field you know a lot about, you'll know what glory looks like for people in that particular field of endeavour. I said that glory is well-deserved praise, and the well-deserved part of that definition is very important. As the saying goes, credit where credit is due. No one likes it when credit goes where it's not deserved. The New York Times restaurant reviewer Pete Wells writes his fiercest reviews when celebrated restaurants just don't live up to the hype. And those reviews are valuable because they stop glory going to restaurants that don't deserve it. Five-star glory should only go to restaurants with five-star quality food. Now, glory is sought after in this world because it brings recognition, influence, and rewards. Sometimes people spend their whole life straining for glory, however much it costs them in terms of late nights, vacations not taken, relationships dropped along the way. There are many people hunting glory here in Manhattan. And that's why our first takeaway from the angels' message is life-transforming. The angels want the shepherds to see that it's God who deserves glory above all. Glory to God, they say. Three life-shaping words. Glory to God. When you glorify God by worshipping him, by living in a way that leads to more credit going to him, that's how you find yourself. That's how you find out who you are, what your place is in the world. But before we give God glory, we do need to be sure that he deserves to be glorified. Credit should only go where credit is due. Does the God of the Bible deserve credit and praise? Is God truly glorious? Please look down to verse 9 in that same Bible passage. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. We're told back in verse 8 that it's night time when all of this is happening, which means during a normal night's sheep watching, blazing light flares down from the sky. It's daytime at midnight. I like to picture the sheep when this happens, pausing mid-chew, and then continuing to chew as usual. Now that blazing light is described in verse 14 as the glory of the Lord. Sorry, it's described in verse 9 as the glory of the Lord. So we should think of this light as a kind of overspill of God's greatness. His glory spills down out of heaven into this field. But God's glory is more than just light alone. We get closer to his glory when we think about his creative power, his universe-making power. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, 
the skies proclaim his handiwork. Beautiful sunsets aren't a lucky accident. We have those paintings hanging in the sky because of God's creative power. The skies declare his glory. And yet we still haven't arrived at the heart of God's glory because right at the heart of it is his character. It's God's love and compassion that make him glorious. The events of that very night in Bethlehem reveal God's love, as we'll see later on. Earlier I said five-star glory should go to restaurants with five-star quality food, and it's like that with God. He deserves glory because what he does is glorious and he himself is glorious. That's why the angels sing out, glory to God in the highest. God's glory deserves to be magnified through our worship and our lifelong devotion. Can I ask, are you someone who gives glory to God? Do you glorify him in your life, with your life? God doesn't want us to glorify him because his ego needs stroking. Absolutely not. It's because he knows that if we're not giving him glory, we'll be giving it to someone else or something else that just can't live up to our worship. It's like when you sit on the floor leaning against a couch or a chair and the chair starts sliding across the floor and you feel it slipping away from you and you don't have anything to lean against anymore. That's what happens when we worship anything other than God. He alone deserves ultimate glory. Confessions of a Glory Hoarder is the title of an article by a Christian writer named Cassie Crowley. In her article, Cassie talks about her natural inclination to seek glory for herself instead of for God. She says she realised she'd been living as a glory hoarder when she became a mother. Here's a quote from her article. In the academic world, you get grades and diplomas. In the professional world, you get performance reviews and promotions. In the social world, you get friends and influence. In motherhood, you get dirty diapers and sleep deprivation. In motherhood, it's been difficult for me to ignore my love of self-glorification. Here's Cassie's conclusion. It's good that the glory belongs to God. When we attempt to hoard glory, we're like pools of standing water that eventually grow stale. When we give glory to God, we're like a flowing river that allows everything in it and around it to flourish. We were never meant to be glory hoarders. We're designed to be channels of God's glory, never forgetting its true source. It's good that the glory belongs to God, Cassie says. How true that is. When our lives are dedicated to glorifying ourselves or anything other than God, that won't end well. The chair we're leaning on will start slipping across the room. Only God deserves five-star glory. Because only God has that five-star glory in himself and in his deeds. Give glory to God. That's our first takeaway. 
Now the angels had a particular reason to choose that night to make their glory to God announcement. And that brings us to our second takeaway. Gain peace through Jesus. Gain peace through Jesus. The angels chose that night to declare God's glory because of something happening just a short distance away from the shepherds in the town of Bethlehem. Please look down to verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Or putting all of that more briefly, don't be afraid, because a Saviour has been born for you. We're told that when the first angel appeared and the glory of God blazed into the field, the shepherds were filled with great fear. That was back in verse 9. I'm sure part of that was just shock. The massive interruption of whatever they had been doing. But there was probably more to their fear than just shock alone. Throughout the Bible, when angels appear, they usually frighten people out of their skins. That's because angels are sent by God. And when God bursts into your life, you look around and you see things that aren't fit for his presence. Things you did long ago, perhaps, that suddenly don't seem so long ago at all. Not when God is at the door. Desires in your heart that you thought were secret and private suddenly aren't secret and private when God is at the door. In the Old Testament, when the prophet Isaiah comes into the presence of God, he says, Woe to me! I'm ruined! For I'm a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. That is a reasonable response to the living God. He's morally pure. He knows all the wrong things we've done. And he's a just judge. The Bible says he set a day in the future for judgment. So it's very reasonable to be afraid when God makes himself known. He made himself known to the shepherds by sending angels, but he can also make himself known through his word, the Bible. When he makes himself known, it's reasonable to be afraid. And yet the angel says to the shepherds, Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour. Down the road in Bethlehem, a boy named Jesus had been born who would offer salvation to the world. That's why the shepherds don't need to be afraid. And that's why you and I don't need to be afraid. A saviour has been born for us. Prophecies had been spoken about that baby long before he was born. In our first solo today, we heard Charlotte sing, Isaiah twas foretold it. He certainly did. Isaiah wasn't the only prophet who spoke about the coming saviour. But his prophecies are some of the grandest in the Hebrew Bible. The third of our nine readings today was taken from Isaiah chapter 9, where Isaiah looks ahead and says, For to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The boy born in Bethlehem on the night the angels appeared to the shepherds was Mighty God. He was God come down from God. He took on human flesh to live as one of us. One writer explains it like this. Without ceasing to be what he was, he became what he was not. God became man. He had to become a man to save us, and in his love he wanted to save us. And so he came down from heaven in the person of his son to provide salvation. The 19th century artist William Holman Hunt once painted a picture called The Shadow of Death. I've got to be honest, as a painting, it's not my favourite, but the meaning of the painting is accurate. It shows Jesus labouring as a young man in the carpentry workshop where he earned his living. He's stretching at the end of the day. And as he stretches... His shadow is cast against the wall behind him. On the wall, there's a tool rack holding long nails. And the shadow cast by Jesus against the wall is pinned by those nails. It looks as if the shadow has been crucified. The point of the painting is that throughout his life, Jesus had crucifixion ahead of him. And that's right. He was born to give his life as a sacrificial offering, a payment for the sins of others that they might be saved. The baby born that night in Bethlehem was born to die, born to be nailed to a cross. As his death grew closer, Jesus himself spoke about his coming crucifixion. He told his disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. When Jesus said those things, he could still have escaped, but he pressed on to Jerusalem. He went willingly to his death, because the only way for us to be saved was through the sacrificial death of the perfect God-man. As he died on the cross, Innocent Jesus received the punishment deserved by guilty people so that all those who trust in him would be saved. On the night of Jesus' birth, a bright light turned darkness into daytime for the shepherds. But when Jesus was hanging on the cross, we're told darkness came over the whole land. It was nighttime in the middle of the afternoon. It's as if creation itself did not want to see its creator suffering the agonies of punishment and death. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That was the angel's message when Jesus was born. The son of God, born to die, brought a peace offer from God to the people of this world. We deserve God's punishment for our wrongdoing, including the sin of worshipping other things instead of the creator of the universe. 
But God offers peace to those who deserve punishment. And yet the angel's message includes an important note of clarification. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Among those with whom God is pleased. Who are the people God is pleased with? It's not those who earn his favour by righteous living because that's impossible. There's a verse in the New Testament that says we all fall short in many ways. So who are the people God is pleased with? It's those who trust in his son. When we trust in Jesus, it's as if we're joined to him, like an arm is is joined to a body. And since God is pleased with Jesus, he's also pleased with those who join themselves to him. If you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, it's something you could do today. It's something you should do at the earliest opportunity, because that is how to receive God's peace. We gain peace through Jesus. And not just peace, we gain power as well. The spiritual power we need to live life in a way that glorifies God. Earlier I read Jesus' prediction of his own death, but I didn't read the final line. Here's the quotation again, this time with the final line. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. It happened as he said it would. He was raised from his grave and later ascended to heaven. But Jesus won't stay in heaven. He'll return to earth to live forever with all those who have trusted in him. Everyone who has gained peace through him. Right now, God's creation is not what it should be. It has features that point to God's glory. But the Bible says creation was subjected to frustration. It's been put in bondage to decay. That's why we have such things as pandemics. When Jesus returns, creation will be liberated from those chains. There's a Bible verse, we heard it earlier, that says the earth will be filled with the glory of God, just as water fills the sea. No more disease, no more death, no more sadness. Those who have trusted in Jesus will experience divine glory throughout eternity. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see your love in the arrival of Jesus at the first Christmas. Thank you for the peace you offer us through Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Help us to give you the glory that you so fully deserve. Amen.